Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Good evening, Matt. How are you? And good afternoon to you. I am doing quite well because there is so much to talk about despite the fact there was no race. There's loads of news that's come out. It's almost as, as if people's livelihoods depend on generating news in between races, which is very handy for us. It does help a lot when it comes to the show planning and research, I have to admit. So I had grand plans for, for this Sunday, because normally uh, at the moment I've got my morning routine of a morning radio show on a Sunday. Then we, we watch a race that I can't remember the before time where there were no races. And then we have to do all our prep, get ready, do Missed Apex podcast, finish at 11. So because there was no race today, I thought I had six hours free, no, seven hours from coming home and then getting onto Missed Apex stuff. I had such grand plans for it. Guess what I did? Um, if you're anything like me, you probably took a nap. I took two naps. I came home, Do? had some food, had a nap, did an iRacing racy car race, went straight back to the sofa and had another nap. So, um, okay, I was a bit scared of what we do without a race on a Sunday and I've, I've figured it out. We will have a nap. So that's the new plan. If there's no F1 race, we nap. But we are also an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're not just going to waffle on just me and Matt. Oh, no. We have the cream of motorsport PR, Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? Hey, Spanners. I feel like it's been so long since I've been on the show. I mean, like pre the season starting. I haven't missed you at all. 
Really? I mean, I could have sworn that the messages you sent me no. crying, begging me to get me back on the show. It's so much better with you on it, they said. No, I have Kyle and Alex now. I barely need you at all. But on a serious I'm note, you're, your you're quite busy during race, race weekends, especially with yeah. Formula E and uh, Formula 2, Formula 3. So uh, we might have to make do with just in-betweeny races for you. Yeah, yeah, might uh, have to be. I mean, I didn't uh, do a lot of race reviews um, last year, but uh, hopefully like towards the end of the season, maybe I can get on uh, a few more of them. Yeah, be great to have you. And someone who does a lot of work behind the scenes is Uncle Steve, Steve Amy, our upside down video guy. Hi, Spanners. How are you going? I'm. It's really good here. Um, I'm feeling a bit strange, to tell you the truth, because after six months of sitting around doing nothing, well, not doing nothing, but <laughs> no work, I'm suddenly back and busy working again. It feels very weird. I know. I, I was used to having you uh, at our beck and call at lockdown. Hey, Steve, can you produce funky new graphics for our iRacing season? Steve, can we have a new bumper? But now you've got to, like, earn money to eat food. Uh, well, yes, do a bit of that. Um, but... I mean, I'm still keeping busy with uh, getting the iRacing stuff together. I've got a new set of graphics for the next iRacing season when it comes along. So, you know, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, the missed Apex iRacing season. If you want to get involved in that, I think we're going to start in around, you know, around mid-August. Um, email me, spannersready at gmail.com if you're an iRacer and you want to join our league. Also, though, we've been swarming the official series as well. So me and Matt and... Brad, Jeansy, Kyle have all been kind of getting onto the official iRacing Formula 2 races. And uh, we've had a kit that has been beautifully designed by Sean Bull. Yes, that Sean Bull. And we're, we're out there decked, Matt. And it's quite a view, isn't it, when we've swarmed the official races with our black and red Mist Apex tribe. Yeah, and somehow we've managed to not get hammered for being total um, unpleasant people during the races, which I think is the most amazing thing. Because when we do the Missed Apex series, we really encourage clean racing, good racing. I think it's a fun place to do your sim racing. So if you want to get involved with that, spannersready at gmail.com. Now, I have been furiously stalling where I, you know, trying to get the big dirty news bumper up. I can't find it. So I'm going to try and improvise something. Let's see. Let's see if this works. Uh, here we go. Big dirty news. Pretty sure I got away with that. I don't think anyone noticed a difference. I think that's exactly the same. So, Matt, continue as if nothing was wrong with the big dirty news. Uh, let's start with Ferrari. Uh, not a good start to the season for Ferrari. Certainly not where they want to be. So they've made massive structural changes of one new job, as far as I can tell. Well, I think it's a bit more than that. Although, as far as the news bumper goes, like I don't even remember what that sounds like. So, as far as I'm concerned, that was a correct one. It, then it was nice. No, uh, what has happened is uh, Bonato has realized that things are terrible, and that the structure of the firm, it, as it is, is not working. Yeah. So he's he's made a big announcement. They're bringing Rory Byrne back into a much more active capacity. He's been a consultant. He was the one uh, responsible for the Schumacher cars and for most of their championship winning designs in the recent past, recent-ish past, I guess at this point. But when you're my age, everything is recent. So, you know. <laughs> it's, that's true. 
Uh, and so what they said specifically is they're instituting a chain of command that is more focused and simplified and provides the heads of each department the necessary powers to achieve their objectives. They've been operating under a flatter management structure, uh, which to me sounded a lot like the previous McLaren um, amorphous glob of ideas floating around in a maze and never getting acted on. So it seems like they're trying to clean things up and simplify them. They're kind of copying McLaren in my estimation. But the big deal really is Rory Byrne because uh, people in the know oftentimes put him in the same league as people like Adrian Newey and those sorts of designers. Rory Byrne, of course, who also helped uh, dig Ferrari out of their 2012 hole. Uh, If you remember the absolute dog of a car that was at the beginning of the season, uh, although Fernando Alonso did manage to take it to within three points of a driver's uh, championship. But of course, it's not just about one person. It's about uh, the whole structure in general, which has had a, a bit of an upheaval. And it's what Ferrari needs. I mean, you look back, they haven't won the driver's title since 2007, 13 years ago. They've won the constructors since then. But if you look at who they've had with the team, the drivers, Raikkonen, Alonso, Vettel, they've gone through four team principles in that amount of time as well. It's very yeah. clear there is a fundamental issue with the F1 team. Uh, perhaps. And Gonzo George uh, in the live chat. Hello, live chat room. They're watching us live. Where you can watch us record this live by going to YouTube and searching for Mr. Apex Podcast. It says, it's been forever since he's actually designed a car. Now, if I'm going to be cynical, Chris, this sounds to me a lot like three terrible results with little hope going forward. If I was a cynic... I would look at Benotto and say, look at him shaking up things below him. He's installed someone in in a kind of director of football role um, directly underneath him. I think that the job title is uh, performance. You know, it's the performance department. In fact, Matt, is that correct? So uh, Enrico Cardiel is is heading up this new performance department. So Benotto's going, oh, see, it wasn't me. It's the performance that's lacking. I've installed a new person and he will command a department head's wage as well. And that will fix everything. He's effectively bought himself another six months. Yeah. Well, again, much like McLaren, he's taken a look at it and said that part of our problem is that the way this is organized, we're not really getting the best out of the resources that we have. And we're also going to bring back someone who is um, potentially still a world-class designer to help out with this transition and to and to take a look at the big picture because he's been in the sport long enough to know which file drawers to go rifling in to find the things that are actually going to work. Yeah, he may well be in his um, 70s, but he sure still knows how to make a good race car. And even though he was supposed to retire at the end of 2006, that never happened. And he was always sort of retained in a sort of consultancy role. And uh, maybe they just want to bring him on on a uh, fr- from a consultancy to a semi-permanent basis, I guess you would um, call it. But uh, at least Benotto is acknowledging the problem, which previous team principals okay, what's, have just denied. What's, what's the problem? Well, there you go. Well, it has to be something fundamental and maybe they're, they're the ones finding it out now. You know, we don't, we don't know what it is yet, but hopefully they'll find out with this new structure. Steve? But, has, but hasn't there been um, something fundamentally wrong with Ferrari's, you know, internal structure and political system for about the last 30 years? 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's hard to go back and find a time where there hasn't been some kind of issue with them in one way or another. And, and it just fundamentally, the car has problems. The rules are causing them problems because of the new uh, token rules about up, upgrading your car has put them in a real bind, uh, as I've discovered, that one of the major sticking points when they talk about all the drag on the car is the side pods, because uh, Ferrari has stacked their their radiators in the side pods in a way that they thought would be advantageous, but has proved not to be. In order to change that, they have to burn one of the only two tokens they have for changes between now and the end of next year. So if they're wrong about it, and they implement the design, they've only got one token left to solve it. This is probably why you're seeing them wanting people like Rory Byrne back in action as they try to solve this problem. Okay, so Matt, I know you and I have been kind of uh, flip-flopping between, you know, me saying it's all pretty much down to a lack of engine performance, and you're saying there's a lot wrong with the car as well. I can't help but feel that they're in a similar position to to Red Bull when they were underpowered with the, the Honda and they couldn't use the biggest tool in their arsenal, which was Adrian Newey being really good at putting downforce on stuff. It's it's hard for me to get my head around anything other than Ferrari are massively down on power, so they can't do the things they want to do aerodynamically. And I, from my point of view, I think Benotto has allowed the team to get to this point. So he, if you want to be, if you want to go on the most severe side of things, Matt, he has overseen an era where Ferrari have been somehow getting let's let's use the legalese carefully somehow managing to increase their fuel flow rate in a way that the te- technical directives will definitely now not let them do after clarification with the FIA Bonotto has allowed the team to get to that situation so they've done all their development based on their engine and the trickery and whatever they were able to do that they now can't do so Bonotto's allowed that to happen. He's the guy who is responsible for the state of 2020 and 2021. And now he's just scrambling around looking for other reasons when really that's the huge one. That's that's it. Take that problem away. Ferrari uh, further up the grid. Yeah. I, the problem I have with that is that they are two uh, diverse strands of problems here. As they got into the season with the engine that was still powerful, they realized that their aerodynamic concept lacked downforce and that they were trapped in adding more downforce on. The downforce they could add wound up being much more draggy. And as I'm understanding it now, uh, mostly from reading Summer's articles, if I'm being honest, uh, <laughs> the problem is the way they've configured the radiators and the side pods is contributing to a lack of um, a flow down the car. It's creating a huge amount of drag. If they can get rid of that drag then the engine power they have will be more effective. So it's it's a both things. It's not nah. a one leading to the other. It's it's two separate problems that have now combined into one, if you know what I mean. So it's it's a bit of a semantic argument from my point of view. But they the the end result is yeah, right now they're underpowered on the engine department and they're dragging the arrow and that's never a good thing. Uncle Steve. Uh, can I suggest that there is actually one easy way for Ferrari to fix all these problems? Hire a couple of photographers and send them out to photograph the Mercedes car and just copy that, as has been done. Do you know there's like, going to be a whole like wave of this now because they've opened up the floodgates. They're like, well, why don't you all just do this then? Okay, interesting one then. Th- since Steve has, um, has set us down that path, 
we are expecting some kind of decision on the Renault protest before Silverstone. So knowing our luck, it's going to come out, you know, an hour or two after the podcast is is released. And we're going to know whether the brake duct is deemed to be a um, uh, a copy of the 2019 Mercedes or whether they have enough, you know, IP that they bought the IP previously, based all their designs off of it. So, you know, have they designed it themselves enough since obtaining it under the old regulations? So someone's going to clarify that for us very quickly this week. But could Ferrari go and do it? And I heard um, we've been debating this a lot in our Patreon Slack group. Uh, Somebody said, well, if Racing Point do that, why don't Williams just do it? And I think there has been an underestimation of how hard it is to do that. So let's take Racing Point uh, as not liars for a second, because they have said, we took photographs of the car and we made the best possible copy we could. And then we've also, you know, based our designs and our own philosophy around that, based on a concept, but our design. If we take them for their word that they did that, that's amazing. That's an incredible achievement. It's based on the back of skillful engineers who are used to punching above their weight and making the most of their resources. Force India commonly accepted to be the best pound-for-pound team in F1 during their time there. So they've done something incredible, if we take it as true. So, do Williams have the ability to do that, Chris? Do Ferrari have the ability to go and photograph of Mercedes and copy it? Maybe it's something that it, that is so difficult that Racing Point have just pulled off a, a genius masterstroke. So it is really difficult to do because... Angles and photography, they can make a really big difference. And when we're talking about aerodynamic pieces where one degree of difference is going to be tense in lap time, potentially. And, you know, you'll see the racing point, as much as we call it the, the 2019 Mercedes, it's it's not doing the same lap times as the 2019 Mercedes for, for a multitude of reasons. And, of course, the other issue as well is all the internals as well. So uh, the brake duct's a prime example. What's going on inside that brake duct? They don't have any photos of that. They have to do that part themselves. Oh, uh, Matt, just before you come in, just want to answer uh, the Jotma in the chat room who says, uh, it's simply not true. You don't have to be brilliant to come up with this idea. No, no, no. You don't have to be brilliant to come up with the idea. Shameless. You have to, you have to be shameless. Yes, yeah, shameless. But you have to be, you have to be brilliant to, to do it and to implement it. And I don't think it is shameless. When uh, when Braun turned up with a double diffuser in 2009, the rest of the team didn't go, fair play, we'll just sit here without a double diffuser. They took that concept and and then ran with it and made their own version. So if you look at the, the concept that um, Racing Point have, have copied, Matt, isn't it essentially that they've copied the, f- the, the front wing, the nose, and the aero concept and the low rake philosophy and then work from there. Their last development was a copy of what Mercedes had on their car in Japan last year. So no, no, they've pretty much copied the whole thing, kit and caboodle. Um, And to answer Chris, for the outside of the car, I believe the tools exist to do a pretty exact copy. But as you point out, it's the inside and the underneath and the bits that you don't always get the good pictures of that are going to be the real sticking points when you try to put the whole package together. Racing Point did have the advantage last year in that a lot of the things that were would be problematic uh, were available to them because they were not listed parts. And and this gets to, I think, the fundamental... You remember how everybody got angry at Haas? Yeah. For the way they came into the sport. They said, hey, wait a minute. 
these rules don't apply to us until we put a car on the grid. So we're going to do whatever we want. And it was caused them a great deal of approbation in the paddock. But it was a brilliant idea because they did really well with it. Yeah. So this is a similar thing, except for in this instance, the listed parts are the ones you really meant to either own or design entirely on your own and not so much entirely copy. And I think that uh, for people who follow yeah. this sport a long time, that's like it's not illegal, but it's it sort of is the kind of thing where. Uh, I'm trying to think there was a great hockey example that just went right out of my head where someone just basically skated up to the goaltender and just like sat there right in front of his face. It wasn't illegal until the next game when the league decided to outlaw it, (laughs) but no one had ever done it because it just sort of went against basically the way the game is normally played. Okay, so two points on that. Firstly, I remember when Haas came in and made that decision to not race that year, we were all like, huh, you're kind of ready to go. But it was smart in the end because... They had access to the Ferrari facilities, wind tunnels, and some people were implying uh, facilities to uh, the staff as well. Uh, now, I, I just don't I don't think there's anything amoral about trying your best to, to copy a car. And just to clarify the point you've made with the listed parts, Matt, the, the understanding certainly coming out of Racing Point is they bought that brake or in fact, they're saying they came up with it themselves based on the external photos. So we get to see if the internals are a massive copy. But had you bought the non-listed part in 2019 and then gone, this is ours now. We know how it works because we've bought the design. Now, how can we make that integrate with our car? Well, let's uh, let's make that flap bigger. Uh, okay, let's make uh, that inlet slightly wider. Brilliant. That actually works with our design now. Now that's kind of your brake drum. So that, that, that to me would be the differentiating point. You get to 2020 and you go, yeah, this is the brake drum based off the non-listed part we bought in 2019. Sorry, Steve, you've been waiting a while. Steve. Oh, um, I was just going to make a point. Um, Chris, you said earlier that despite the fact that the, uh, the pink Mercedes is a dead copy, that they're not doing Mercedes times, I would just like to point out that after three races, yeah, they're not maybe doing Mercedes times yet, but they seem to be doing far better times than they were doing last year before they had copied the design. So something is working, and, and they've only had three races. Give those guys another, you know, another three races to fine-tune it, and they're going to have that car working pretty damn well. I was really surprised at how fast off the mark they were, particularly in Hungary. Yeah, so my point was that you can't say it's exactly the same as the Mercedes because it's not doing what Mercedes yeah. did last year. It's certainly a step up from where Racing Point were the previous year. There's a question in the chat room um, as well asking like why why uh, Ferrari in particular can't use their year-old engines like customer teams used to do. And, of course, they can't do that for two reasons. One is these days your customer teams have to have the same hardware and software yeah. as the manufacturer team. And, of course, last year's Ferrari engine – is now deemed pretty much illegal. Some some lawyers may say. Uh, Steve? Some say. Any final point on that? No? Uh, no, I just, my point was that they, they've taken a step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, whether it's illegal or not, we will find out in the next few days. But even if it is deemed illegal, what they've learnt will put them in good stead for the next stage of their development. And of course, Matt, they can't unlearn things that they have previously bought, sold, uh, copied even when they were legal. Yeah, if it comes down to a similarity, uh, the only test case that we know of, uh, it was a 70% similarity, was a judge to be the same. And if it's deemed a copy of Mercedes IP from last year, 
it's only potentially a problem. They don't specifically outlaw it. They don't specifically say it's legal. It's really going to be in the hands of the stewards to make that decision. And just on a completely irrelevant side note, I'm being told that Sean Avery and Martin Brodeur were the two hockey players I was referring to for those of you who are in New York and are indeed Rangers fans. Ooh, Sorry about that. Love a hockey reference, Chris. So it worked for Racing Point because they were in a very heavy midfield scrap where a tenth of a second would determine whether they were going to be sit seventh or twelfth on the grid sometimes. By doing what they've done, they have launched themselves very firmly into the head of that midfield. What that won't do for Ferrari is put them ahead of Mercedes. And that's what they need to do. Being at the head of the midfield is not going to be good enough for them. I have an actual question. Has anyone gone and looked at Racing Point's times compared to Mercedes' times last year? I've not. Uh, No, I'm going to now. (laughs) All right. Somebody get on that quick in the chat room. I I can't wait for the whole of that segment to be deemed completely irrelevant when the full FIA ruling on that brake drum comes out like Monday morning. So please forgive us if you're listening to this after having seen that ruling. Well, the problem that there's always problems with comparing times year for year, because we did it for the Red Bull when we were just talking in the WhatsApp chat about, you know, where they were relative to last year. And they may well have been, you know, a second quicker than they were in preseason testing in 2019. But so far, they have only at best been able to match their qualifying times in the three races we've had so far. So it's, you know, we're splitting hairs. I just wanted to be clear. I meant take uh, Racing Point's times this year and compare them to last year's Mercedes times because yeah, yeah, no, that to me is the is, is, would be the interesting comparison okay, so, that I don't think anyone's So you it. can't do that in Hungary, just a note, because Hungary was resurfaced, so all the times were a little bit lower. But since we've meandered our way across to, to Racing Point, uh, let's stick with them for a second because we want to get to some of the, the driver transfer news also. Uh, but firstly, I just want to talk about like the state of where the teams are. So Mercedes dominance, is it as big as it seems, Chris? 100% yes. Mercedes yeah. have not only still got a great car, they've improved it from last year, whereas Ferrari have had one of their legs cut off and yeah. in, in trying to bandage it up, have also stubbed their big toe on their other working foot. And yeah. Red Bull in also trying to improve their car, have just tripped over themselves a little bit and not quite worked it out yet. And that's why we're seeing such a huge gap. So maybe once Red Bull sort it all out, they'll be able to challenge Mercedes on a more regular basis. But right now, yeah. there's, there's a huge difference between them. So this is where I think Matt's argument about it being a two-pronged problem for Ferrari slightly falls down. Because when you look across the, the engine groups and you look at the Ferrari teams, obviously all the Ferrari teams have uh, have slipped down the pecking order. And they don't all have a side pod problem, Matt. So, you know, clearly the yeah. engine power unit problem is is a huge factor. It is a factor, but if you simply look at the percentages, you'll discover that um, Haas is the most least worst Ferrari team in terms of percentages lost compared to last year. Good job. That makes sense. Followed a little bit later, a little bit more by um, Alpha Sauber, whatever. And, and, and then the Ferrari is significantly further down uh, percentage-wise, uh, like seven-tenths of a percent down relative to their two junior teams. So I think that very much argues that there is not only the 
our unit problem, but also the aero problem at Ferrari that they cannot solve. Okay. And, well, and yeah. the rest of the teams are just struggling with the power unit, which I believe the estimate right now is about four tenths. Okay. So I don't want to labor this point, but uh, if you say that the, the two other Ferrari teams are less aerodynamically good anyway, so they're less sensitive aerodynamically to losing that power. So to, for them, it's much more linear. For Ferrari, they had a package based around being able to push through a certain amount of of aero and downforce. So I, I don't find that to be too far away from, from my thinking. But when we look at the rest of the grid, obviously Ferrari have, have left a gap where, you know, a Ferrari-sized gap in second place. Uh, Red Bull seem to have not quite unlocked their potential on the face of it from qualifying, certainly. Um, it looks like Racing Point are the second fastest team if you look at the Hungarian Grand Prix result. I just can't help but feel, Chris, that... Racing Point are being flattered at the moment yes. because of that gap. And also, I, I really hate to, to do down the Williams party, but I feel like Williams are being massively flattered as well. So from an engine point of view, because Alpha and Haas have also been hindered by Ferrari's power unit debacle as Ferrari customers, that has helped Williams bridge the gap somewhat, I'll admit. Yeah. But then also I don't think there's this still this this bigger gap. It's not like we have this three tier formula where we have, you know, Mercedes and then the midfield with racing point down to let's say Alpha Tauri. And then you have Alpha Haas and, and Williams in their own little little bridge because I mean Williams have really kind of shaken it up this year, I feel like, and they've had some real standout moments. And uh, I think this is only the beginning. I think there there is genuine progress down at Williams, but I can see where you're coming from. Oh, do you know what? Before the show, you said I was stupid for saying that. No, because I it caught me off guard, and then I stopped <laughs> to think about it, and I'm like, ah, oh, actually, I can I can okay. see where that's. And Matt, I don't want to make it sound like I'm doing down the Williams party because we've given them a lot of grief, and this should be a time for celebration. I just, it's almost like I, it's too good. You know, to suddenly be from the back of the grid to Russell coming 12th in qualifying sessions where he comes in every single race from now on, it just feels too much of a step. Uh, well, it is if you look at the actual performance in the race. If yes. you look at the performance in the race, what you realize is that they've managed to design a car that can go fast for two laps, but they can't really get it round and finish in that position, much less make progress. Now, is it a problem they're going to be able to solve this season? Um, that's something I don't really know yet. Uh, but it is, you were absolutely correct, a big step up from last year where they not only had a car that was slow in qualifying, but was also slow in the race. So yeah. th there has been some improvement. I, I can't help thinking about, you know, looking back to the start of the hybrid era and even before that, you know, you can make a car that is really good in qualifying trim. Like you say, good for uh, one lap, good for two laps, but in race trim, it goes out the window very famously in 2013. I think Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg were some 0 0.8, 0 0.9. They were so far ahead of the grid uh, on qualifying races. It was outstanding. It was incredible. You know, they go, wow, you've built a rocket ship here. But every time it came to the race, they were um, overheating their tyres or they were having problems with tyre management and they were just shuffling down the back of the grid. So it, it does look a little bit like Racing Point and... Um, and Williams are in 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 that kind of boat where 
they have a rocket ship underneath them. And I'm hearing some quotes, sorry, I don't have a source, the Mercedes are some 0.4 seconds up uh, on a lap with with their new engine and new power unit. Sorry, were you the source, Matt? Uh, yeah, I, I did say that. I think that's mostly down to the power unit. Um, I think it was a power unit comparison. They said it's roughly worth four tenths a lap. So that's from Mercedes, Mercedes power yeah, unit right. right now. Yeah. Not so, just Mercedes, the team, but all the qualifiers. So obviously in qualifying, you have less factors. So you don't have 50, 50 odd laps to contend with, 70 laps to contend with. So it does make sense that Racing Point and, and Williams are flattering themselves in qualifying. And that's not quite holding up on race pace because on race pace, Racing Point kind of go back and they revert to um, being behind Mercedes, Verstappen and kind of go into the clutches of McLaren, Renault. So, and that sort of feels about right. So I, I just want to temper the the excitement when Racing Point lined up third and fourth. We suddenly go, well, this is the future. It's Mercedes, one, two, three, four. I don't, I don't feel like it's quite like that. Uh, Chris? I, I am reminded of a conversation we had before this even started. We were talking about the idea of customer cars. And I think customer cars is a great way to get more people yeah. on the grid. It isn't necessarily a way to service our existing teams. Yeah, I like, well, if you want to broaden it out to customer cars, I mean, Steve, you've been around longer than any of us. A thousand years of Steve Amy. You remember it when it was chariot races. Where do you stand on customer cars? I've been a big fan of it. I would love to see 30 car grids and people being able to, you know, live within your means. So you turn up to the Formula One grid. If you can afford to buy the the Mercedes 2019 brake drum, good, on you go, go for it. Uh, I'd certainly like to see more cars on the grid. Um, that would be wonderful. Uh, when it comes to customer cars, I'm kind of sitting on the fence a little bit. Um, I can, when I got into Formula One, and you quite rightly said I've been watching since 1926, um <laughs> teams built their own cars, uh, and that was part of the allure for me. Part of it was the technology, you know, the, this effort of being able to design these rocket ships that went through the, the air faster than anybody else and would corner faster than anything else. That was part of what brought me to the sport. Um, I'd hate to, to for the sport to lose that. I can see that there is a place for customer cars. I guess the economics of the sport have changed over the years and it's much harder now for teams yeah. to be able to outlay the sorts of money it takes in order to be able to completely individually develop and build their own car. There is a place for customer cars, I guess. I would hate, if they're going to be introduced into the sport, there has to be some mechanism by which they don't take over the sport. Maybe they're a way for teams to get in initially to get into the sport, but perhaps there's a, then a development path for those teams that come in that they have to go through. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It's important to keep that aspect. So you still have that, but we're just talking about ways to kind of bolster um, the, the, the grid numbers up. And of course, MotoGP has a, a great job where they have the, the riders championship, the teams championship, and then the manufacturers championship as well. Because there are so many customer bikes in MotoGP, they will take like the best two results from Honda and that will go towards the manufacturer's championship. But you also have a separate team's championship. I hate to rain on I hate to rain on everyone's parade here, but F one is a manufacturer's championship and customer cars 
absolutely go against the grain <gasps> of that. And and <sighs> again, you're you're gonna I'm gonna say racing point <laughs> right off the bat. Yeah. You see what the problem is? Oh, I I buy last year's Mercedes and I run it with all the gear. Now suddenly I'm really fast. I can be at the front of the midfield. I can even get a podium. That's fantastic. But that Mercedes is only going to ever go as fast as the engine, which has to be from Mercedes, in the back of it. Because otherwise, all the other aero trickery they they install will not work. Because those engines are not hot swappable. You can't just put a Ferrari or Mercedes or a Renault engine in the back and keep the same aerodynamics. Stuff has to change. And what are the odds that Mercedes will let you beat them? Ever. Period. (laughs) End of. This is why Formula One went to being a manufacturer's championship, because without that, you have the manufacturers, top three places, and then everybody else (laughs) as close as they are allowed to get. Counter. Okay, so Racing Point are a bad example because they have a lot of resources behind them. I would say they possibly have infinite resources behind them it's, it's a matter of will Renault actually in that same boat they have infinite resources behind them so it's a bad example however the customer team model for me gives you a a stepping stone into the sport so you've almost got a, a Formula 1.5 in there I mean Chris Im- imagine like you follow the, the F2 and F3 grids there's a lot of really good outfits there but there's a huge gulf between what is mostly a spec series and then Formula One. Imagine if, like, Dams could go, no, actually, we think we can run in Formula One next year. Uh, we can do it with customer parts from a previous season, so they're not going to be as good. But look, now we're a racing team. Now if we can get some prize money, if we can get some prize money, we can start developing. That's how the Football League works. That's how other sports work. And they very nearly did that back oh, in 1995. Really? Back in the Formula 3000 days, which was the F2 of the day. And that was no spec series as well, actually. That was when you could you could buy from different chassis and work on your own engine partnerships as well. It was a fruitful time in which many things were possible. And I think we can learn a lot by going back to such a halcyon period. I definitely know what halcyon means. No need to explain it to me. Good, very good. Well, good. Uh, excellent. Now I definitely know what it means. So, yes, Racing Point are a bad example because it looks like they're going to be able to custom a team very well, and they're doing it in an environment where Ferrari are struggling and where Honda haven't quite yet, uh, well, Honda Red Bull, haven't quite yet got up to speed. So it's making that model look bad. But I, th- I think I still stand by that there is there is room for the manufacturers who spend a kajillion dollars on making and developing these parts on then also making money by selling previous versions of it to teams to give them a leg up. Because Formula One's horrendous for, for costs. So for a team to suddenly just go, ah, yes, I'm going to go from making road cars and, um, and, uh, and uh, endurance cars to entering Formula One, it's nearly impossible. So why not allow them to buy a, a, a base why not let them buy the floor why not let them buy certain parts we could even make a list and we can say here are the listed parts that you could buy uh chris then matt um so we're still getting the comments and be like well you'll never win a championship yeah this sure way. but this is this is not the point of the idea the point is to get teams on the grid and set them up if you want to that's in, in a way that's what's beautiful about it because it retains the element of if you want to win you have to commit and make your own car now no one would mistake me for being a business genius 
But as it is, the prize money doesn't even cover the 10 cars, uh, the 10 teams on the grid. It barely covers it, and it certainly doesn't cover their expenses. If we add five or six or eight or 10 extra teams, who is going to pay for all of that? Because yeah. I don't think the economics of the sport, as it is currently constituted, Matt, you're making the same argument that people who say we shouldn't have electric cars because we've got garages that sell petrol. We would, you'd have to just change all that. Chris? Yeah, that's exactly my oh, point. Okay, I mean, we're, we're changing change the way what? prize money is being distributed anyway, and we have to review these things. If we're going to make these changes, then we have to accommodate for them. Are we going to have 50 races a year? I mean, really, what are you going to change no. to bring in that much more money compared to what's already being brought in? I will grant you... Uh, reallocating the prize money, get rid of the seniority money, divide it all up 50-50 between Liberty and the teams. Even if you do that, if you look at that gross take, <laughs> yeah. you're not supporting 15 teams. You're not supporting 20 teams. In fact, the rules only give prize money to the top 10. So those other five teams have to have an entirely self-supporting business model all with right, sponsors who no longer <laughs> want to pay the money. I just like, I, I love the idea of more teams, but man, I don't, it's just like, I love the idea of me buying a mansion in Manhattan. It ain't going to happen. Matt, you can increase the revenue or you can decrease the costs. So we could, we could maybe cap the costs, Chris. Or you could um, split the shares in which the money is distributed. Uh, and decrease each person, each team's uh, take. All right. I like it when we get all shouty and argue I like it when there is genuine resentment that builds up between the panel. But it's okay, because we have a revolving panel. So as furious as Matt is with Chris now, we'll replace him with Kyle or Alex in the next show. And beyond that, we'll have Brad and Ellen or Steve or Catman or Sarah these people, they're interchangeable to me. They're, they're, they're nothing to me. No, that's not true. I, I like you all very much. And Chris, you can be followed on the social medias at Chris on Racing. That's where you I do can. most of your social media. Steve is one of these, you know, you're still, ah, oh, I don't trust social media. I saw a Twitter once, but then it turned into a crocodile and attacked and killed me. Change your mind, Steve. No, Come on, Twitter. It, it's not that. I, I just couldn't be bothered wasting my time. <laughs> but you get to argue with people, and if you're ever feeling happy or satisfied with your life, you can go on Twitter and search for hashtags that you know will upset you, and that just solves your happiness problem. <laughs> I suppose that's one way to look at it. No, I've got plenty of other things to do with my time rather than sit there arguing with people who really don't know what they're talking about most of the time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. Well, the thing that occupies your time, Steve, is video, graphics, yep. how things look. You are a stickler for uh, eye lines in the Mist Apex studio. The only reason why people are vaguely even looking at their webcams is because you issue guides for that. So you're someone who, when you watch a, a, a production, you're always looking at the production. So same way that when True. Matt sees a, a trumpeter, or a musician in a film, he goes, ah, that, w- that would never work. A trumpeter is usually armed with a machete. <laughs> Actually, watching Treme, the one thing that really bothered me was the trumpet player always his slide pushed all the way in. Which no. Never. You never do never, that. Never. That's never the, would that be the case. That's what I learned in trumpeting school. Never all the, all the way in. And Chris knows as well, when he watches things like, um, uh, what, what's that thing with the horrible boss, with the fashion thing? where she's trying to make it in fashion and like then there's a really horrible boss that yells at her and you're like, that would never happen in PR. That's the same reaction you have. It's okay. Go with it. The Devil Wears Prada. When you watch that, you get angry because you go, oh, that is not how you do clothes. I, I don't really know what you do for a living. But when Steve watches Formula One, he's looking at the graphics. What have you made of some of the questionable graphics in Formula One? Oh, dear. Okay. Um, I have a question to start with first. I mean, I was sitting looking at the race in Hungary, and it got to the point where there were so many graphics on the screen that I was having (laughs) trouble seeing the racing. Yes. you know me, I'm a big one for, you know, good on-screen graphics. You know, I think it's really important. You love a graphic, Steve. Oh, I love a good graphic. But... I I, ha- I have an opinion at the moment that I th- I think they've gone over the top with the you know, race day on screen graphics. Um, there's so many of them; they come so fast, they take your attention away. Often they're showing information that is either not relevant to what I'm trying to watch, and and is distracting, or um, is showing the wrong sort of information for, for what I want. Um, Give us an example, so Steve. Opi- yeah, we're talking about the AWS oh, okay. ones, aren't we? Or the AG? Yeah, the, uh, the AWS ones are the worst of you know the, uh, of the whole lot. Say um, what you mean, my Steve. Of- Jeez, stop sitting on the <laughs> my, fence. My, my opinion of them is that they're speculative at best. That is, the information they put up there is figured out by some algorithm. Okay, it's not really being. The, the information is not based on observation and fact. It's what this computer algorithm thinks is going to happen. Well, I'm not interested in that really, and I'd, I would like to know how many people are. I want to know exactly what's happening. So things like these two drivers will, you know, overtake in 15 laps oh, time. God. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe they will. They, you know, the earth could end before that we get to 15, the next 15 laps. So it's purely speculative. And I think it's, Adding all, they're trying to add all sorts of excitement to the race, uh, artificial excitement when you don't need to. The racing is actually pretty good these days, so there's a lot of um, 
uh, interest there already. One of the things that worries me about the way that they display graphics is there is no thought of how you build a story with the information and the data. It's Ah, just, look at this here, this guy's going faster than that, and now there's a gap to these two over here. Um, In 15 laps' time, these guys will have a fight, or we reckon that there'll be a pit stop in X number of laps' time. It appears to me that what's happened is the broadcast medium has become just a way of displaying data, often randomly. Data. These graphics come up, they're kind of flashy. They're, they've taken away from the, the ability of the broadcast media to build stories, and stories is what get, keeps people interested. Now, the stories are the fight between various drivers, and it may not be just the on-track fight, but that fight may be, the fight over the whole season, these two drivers and, and how they're going at each other over the whole season and what the, what this particular race is, you know, what is the relevance to that larger ongoing uh, battle. Let's let just Matt jump in for a second. Yeah. So uh, I actually agree with you 100%. And what frustrates me more as someone who covers the races and, and talks about them is that for every race you're in as a driver, there's an immediate race, the person ahead of me, the person behind me. There's a race about my pit stop, who's in my pit window, who's not, and how will that affect me? And then there's a race about my tires. Can I get them to last longer? Will they degrade less than the person either in my pit window that I'm racing or the person ahead of me that I'm racing? So there's all these stories that are there that that they get mentioned, but that the graphics could be really helpful in telling the longer stories of, oh, the race is settled down. No one is passing anyone. And that's when everyone's like, oh, it's all boring. But if you're sat there watching a timing screen and you know what the pit delta is, you're like, oh, no, it's not. It's not boring at all. He's pulling out a tenth a lap and he's got five laps to get a gap and get in or else he's out behind this person who will ruin his race. And you can and watch people. that's super yeah. exciting if they would just talk about it. And, and you can watch people responding as well on the timing screen, screens as well. Chris? I think it's there to try and explain to newer fans what is happening a lot of the time. And I can understand that because F1 is a very complicated sport and it needs to be explained to a lot of newer fans. But at the same time... Can I just butt in and, can I just butt in and say, but they're, they're, they're overcomplicating it at the I know. for those new people. That's my point. You explain so much data to them that it, it puts them off because they're like, oh, this is too hard to follow and it's really difficult. And like that striking distance one Ugh. as well really takes away from this. Like, oh, can he, can he catch him up and passing? Because they're like, yeah, it's going to happen in six laps. But then yes. it's also they're trying to engage the, the, the lesser engaged fans. They're like, no, stick around in six laps. There's going to be a thing happening. But we yeah. all know it's not there for us. Yeah. If, if there was if there was like really terrible commentators, then you could understand yeah. why this would be like a substitute. But actually, uh, David Croft and, and Martin Brundle are massively experienced people who understand the gaps in the stories developing through the race. Yeah, but American commentators don't talk <gasps> on streams, do they? So... We've all we've all watched IndyCar, right? Yeah, look, I I'm sure there's there's I'm there's, there's many fantastic I'm American. I'm coming for you as a fan of Steve <laughs> Matchett, Bob Barsha, and David Hobbs. Uh, I am coming for you. Okay, so I'm the, poking fun. I love that. There country. are many many good uh, US commentators 
Of course. And believe it or not, believe it or not, Steve, I am I am actually consulting for a uh, uh, a firm that puts on motorsport races to train people to call a race effectively. And there is, you're completely correct, there is a skill to building a narrative. It's something we've talked about within our commentary team for doing uh, the iRacing series. And it's part of the broadcast to, to sit there and point the viewers to where do we think the battles are going to develop. And like Chris says, not just a shortcut to, well, you can doze off for 10 laps because it'll be 10 laps before that guy catches up. No, what what are they doing within that battle? You know, when do you start being concerned about Verstappen catching you up? When do you start changing your racing habits? When do you have to switch from conserving your tires and saving your tires and fuel and all that kind of stuff? When does the battle turn to now I have to think about every single mistake brings that gap down? And in the old days, in the olden days, in the 90s, which is sort of my my glory period of watching Formula One, you had very simple graphics that would give you just here's Mansell, here's uh, Patrese, there's the gap between them, and here's what the gap was on the on the last. Here's what the gap was on the last, and you'd watch the race develop, and you'd see that gap changing. Uh, and 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 that was all you needed to build a narrative, Matt. I think you know Steve does have a point that they've been giving us so much information that we don't need that narrative anymore. Yeah, it's true. Um, and it actually brings up something that's a real uh, bugaboo of mine, which is that. A lot of times these calculations don't take into account traffic. And a lot of times the commentators don't, when they start talking about lap times, take into the fact that, oh, oh, well, he just cleared four or five lapped cars, but the person behind him is still in clear air. That's a place that graphics might actually be useful when uh, one one person is chasing another person. Uh, but to your point, Steve, pit stops, whether the car will come out ahead, will he come out ahead with momentum it feels like that graphic is taking that away because it's going 90% chance. Don't even think about it. Don't even bother getting excited. 90% chance is coming out ahead. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. I think there are better ways to be able to display that graphic that would get people a little more engaged rather than just say, no, 90%, he'll be out in front. I think that part of the story is a really important part and graphics can be used to you know, complement it and, um, you know, help build the excitement. But you don't just say, oh, don't even think about it because, yeah, the algorithm says he'll be out, you know, 10 seconds in front of him. Come on, display it in a way that's going to involve the audience yeah. rather than turn them off. Rather than uh, I think a few people in the chat room mentioned the word patronising. You know, it's talking at the audience, not talking with them. Yes, I totally agree with that. And I noticed in the chat room they said that we should have um, AWS graphics on our normal Sunday night um, podcast. So we should have like percentage. Develop some for you. Percentage chance of uh, Spanners interrupting trumpets before the end of his point because it's gone on for 10 minutes. Uh, uh, Time before next tyre intervention. You know, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) I'm sure we could develop Will we get some. out of the next break in front of each other? Yes, all of that stuff. <laughs> We're, uh, over-unders on whether we will stick to our strict <laughs> one-hour time limit, of course. Thanks very much for that that segment, Steve. Um, certainly has been a uh, <laughs> a big part of our, our viewing experience. But, Matt, uh, we have a, a super chat comment because people in the live chat sometimes like to drop a, a tip in there, like a tip jar thing. And Richard Molden has said uh, for four ninety nine, he's put in the tip jar. 
I know complimenting Matt can't win comment of the week, but what if I tell Spanners he's a sim racing god? Uh, will that help him with comment of the week? I think it will, because we've done the Matt compliments to death. It's time for some Spanners love. Um, if that isn't allowed, please refund immediately. Oh, no, sorry, Richard. Um, no refunds. But you can also help us keep this juggernaut of Mist Apex uh, going forward. We've done pretty well in the um, in the uh, iTunes ratings map for UK Sport. That's the one I tend to use. With all the football still going on, we went up to number 92. Of all the podcasts in the world, UK people listen oh sorry of all the sports podcasts in the world uk people listen to us 92nd most ish so that's that was good that was all right did good there i think top 100 in the middle of football season is is a pretty reasonable claim for a podcast with no platform whatsoever no we have no platform we have no pedigree we have no backing beyond what our patrons deem us worthy of so we have as much strength and power as our patrons will give us and and also the tip jar people Uh, we've had some really good contributions to our tip jar missed apex podcast forward slash tip jar and you can put a note on there you can say i don't like spanners he's annoying and he's hamfosi and hates vettel or whatever so this is just for matt to buy whiskey and more trumpet grease I, I, I believe that trumpets require greasing. I'm, I'm not an expert. Yeah, valve oil, but yeah. Valve oil. Yeah, that's fine. So you a, can, we'll, we'll go with that. You that's, can specifically make it for valve yes. oil. <laughs> but yes. if you want to support us more broadly, we are a very ambitious uh, outfit and we feel like we have power because of our patrons. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Uh, Matt and I are going to get together in the week to do our first patron-only podcast of the of the season. They went down very well last season. They are quite a bit more rambling and uh, we definitely don't worry about things like timing or structure or planning. Um, And we also don't mind if it goes a little bit non F1 as well. Nope, not at all. We'll talk about all sorts of craziness like my broken soda stream and the fact that I can't run without falling down. All the fun stuff. Yeah, he fell down. Uh, Obviously, we've got Remain Indoors a little bit. Uh, for a little bit of that kind of stuff. But that's down to one show a week now for the Remain Indoors podcast. And we're going to start doing our patron-only pod every few weeks as well. You can come and join us in our patron Slack group, which is the best forum in the world. And it's the forum that I spend the most time on. And you will get your podcast feed without advertisements. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Your support is much appreciated. Wow, Chris Stevens, I always go to you when it's like newsy stuff because you've always had your finger on the pulse of news. And I know you're PR now, so you're ruined as a journalist. But you're, <laughs> I, I thought, honestly, like I don't like you as a person, but I honestly thought Good. that your journalistic credentials were exactly what the journalism world needed. All you were missing, in my opinion, was like an uncle already in media to give you the right contacts and put you in the right place. <laughs> But that that is to our benefit, because the early years of Missed Apex, we went to you for a drumbeat of news. We always had your, your, you had your finger on the pulse. You always know what's happening. So I just wanted to give you that rare bit of praise and encouragement. I feel ill, but there it is. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. And of course, now I'm in PR. It's all positive news from, from here yeah, on out. There's no bad news here Nothing's ever bad. The driver finished well, 18th. Watch as our driver beat two of the top drivers in the world. 
perhaps there could be some bad news on the horizon for some particular drivers, depending on how the driver market plays out. So we're talking Sergio Perez. And of course, the rumor is Vettel in to Aston Martin, Perez out. That would make me a sad panda. I think it would be a loss. I can totally see where Aston Martin would be coming from because first year in F1, Aston Martin signs four-time Formula One world champion Sebastian Vettel, certainly makes a much better headline than we're keeping Perez and Stroll, especially because like we all know how good Sergio Perez is, but he hasn't won anything. And to the outside world of Formula One, he has no credentials, to be honest. You have no credentials. Well, no, I don't, but I'm not the one trying to get an Aston Martin seat. Sorry, that was fanboy triggered there. Uh, Obviously, (laughs) yes, declared Perez fan, Matt. Yeah, and so you're basically saying if Perez winds up at Red Bull, that's going to be a bad thing? No, but then that's the other rumour that's come, Chris. I mean, it's madness. Okay, firstly, everyone's talking as if there's a a seat available at Red Bull. We'll come back to Albon. But, you know, this is a silly season part, duh. This is, it's really interesting. Racing Point, they kind of tangled themselves a little bit. They're saying all the right things that could come back and bite them a little bit later on if they do end up replacing Sergio because they're saying, oh, the loyalty is really important to us. And let's not forget it was, you know, Sergio put them into uh, administration a couple of years ago. And that's what helped create the team as it is today. Um, But ultimately, if they they want to replace him, they have to, to buy him out of his contract. And of course, they will lose his sponsorship. Frankly, that is insignificant money compared to what Stroll and uh, and Co are bringing in. So, but the, but then, does Sebastian Vettel want to race at Aston Martin? That's the key thing for me because he wants to be in F one to win, not just to hang around. So I could be crazy, but doesn't Perez bring in north of like thirty million with Carlos Slim behind him? I mean, you know, I wouldn't turn down that sponsorship if it was offered to me. When you have Stroll and his consortium, Stroll has enough money to buy Formula One and turn it into his backyard (laughs) entertainment. So I know it sounds ridiculous, but for me, that 30 million from Carlos Slim just seems like it's peanuts. That's shopping money. Okay. Um, I am surprised by that because 30 million is not to be sneezed at. In fact, there are probably several teams that would be very delighted, very delighted to have that money, uh, chief among them. Alpha and or Haas. Which is where I think he will end up. I think more uh, Haas is, is more likely. Steve. And it, it, oh, oh well, I, I was going to make the same sort of point as Chris was going on to, that um, uh, Slim, Carlos Slim has a, a relationship with Ferrari already. And um, uh, I can see that he might just suddenly decide that like Papa Stroll, he's going to go and either invest heavily slash buy a team for his boy to go racing in, his boy being Perez in this case. So it seems like a fit for, you know, for Carlos Slim to take his 30 or $40 million and uh, invest that in Haas and and uh, Perez would race there. Perhaps Grosjean would be gone, which I've got to say I don't think too many people would be upset about. Um, and I think that it would probably help Haas. I mean, let's face it, there's a question about whether or not they're going to exist next year or not. Um, so uh, if they if uh, Slim took his money there, th- then that would probably give them the lifeline to keep going racing for the next few years. And let's not forget, Sergio Perez arrived in Formula 1, a Ferrari junior. Yes, exactly. 
so as uh, from a Perez point of view, from a Perez point of view, uh, the least likely option to me feels like him going to Red Bull, but which would effectively be a promotion. So yes, he would be in the shadow yeah. of, of Max Verstappen, but he's probably going to pick up some race wins there. I'm confident that Red Bull Honda are going to end up being the second best team this year. So he's going to be fighting for podiums and 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 race wins next year. You know, I, I can see him at least Ricardoing it at Red Bull, Chris. Yeah, so I think this was, I don't know if this was the original um, source, but certainly I saw it on racefans.net uh, that uh, the, the Albon uh, being replaced by Perez story. So I think we've, we've realized since the first race, Albon is looking over his shoulders and, and has to be because we know that Red Bull will not hesitate to swap around their drivers between Red Bull and AlphaTauri if they need to. Uh, and, but but now it's like they're looking from the outside world as well, you know, and looking at other teams. And it, it's um, it's it's we we talked about the you know the Red Bull Junior program not quite <laughs> delivering because they were having to look at their old drivers that they previously rejected to bring them up, and that's exactly what Albon um, was and Kvyat as well. And uh, now they're just they're just looking elsewhere at other teams. They're like, well, he's got a fair bit of money and is a pretty handy peddler, so let's get him alongside uh, Max. And I think it would make a really good team. Will it be better than Max and, and Alex? I think that remains to be seen. Uh, obviously, the, the the elephant in the room here is if Vettel comes into Aston Martin and Perez is kicked out, then we're seeing what I think people would consider a top tier driver if not ultimately ultimate, ultimate class driver, Sergio Perez, losing his seat instead of Lance Stroll, who, although he has had some great results, Hungary in particular, he is not considered a top-tier driver. No one is considering Lance Stroll a top-tier driver. We're acknowledging an improvement, but I don't think, Steve, we're saying, you know, he's up there yet. Well, I was about to ask, I mean, he's probably not up there yet, but is there a possibility that, remember that, that uh, Papa Stroll isn't the sole, uh, you know, man involved in this takeover of Alpha yes, Roma- of um, uh, Aston Martin. Yeah, and he's got other investors with him, and perhaps it's got to the stage where they're going to put a lot of money into this, and perhaps the other investors have got a, you know, um, a bit of weight in this whole argument, and perhaps it's time for Papa Stroll to say to his son, "Okay, Lance, you've got a few months. You either make." <laughs> your mark yeah. or I I'm being pressured by everyone else because we're spending so much money to get the best team I can. And you're not providing that. So maybe they send um, Lance off to Hass or yeah. off to somewhere else with, uh, you know, some of his dad's pocket money. <laughs> and maybe they put Vettel and um, uh, Perez into the Aston Martin team next year. The thing I, I don't think he's got months. I think he's got, you know, weeks because these, all these decisions are happening now and you know if we remember like there were certain teams last year that had their lineup sorted by you know, june and of course we'd had half a season by that point and we're all having a very delayed start and that's why we're getting this mad driver market at the moment where seats were being decided before we'd even gone racing and if he has had a word with with lance then and that certainly the boot up the backside seems to have worked for him in hungary yeah. so if he can carry that over he should be safe. But I, I feel like it's getting less and less likely that scenario is is playing out of them potentially replacing Lance. Uh, reportedly, the deadline for Perez is this 
uh, Friday, I believe, July 31st is the date his exit clause expires. And so we might have some real fun news going into the weekend. Okay, so uh, hopefully that is going into the weekend and not another Monday news story that renders all our debate completely irrelevant. Thus is the danger of doing a, you know, a show on a Sunday night. But, you know, we have done the odd drop-ins where, like, when the Vettel story got announced, we did an extra Vettel show. We do have capacity to do that. And, you know, and I'll say it again, it is because of the patrons that we do have the capacity to jump on occasionally and do those um, extra shows. I'm, I'm thinking about calendar news as well. There's a lot of calendar news. Um, if we don't get it all in, we might try and do a, a catch-up show in the week or even a dedicated um, a dedicated uh, preview. Chris? Well, we, we can just summarise it by saying they're all awesome. All the calendar. The, the new races, okay. especially... No, no, you know, Portimao, my God! That's awesome. Matt. Portimao, Nürburgring, and Imola. Yeah, I'm pumped. What is delightful about this is how late in the year they are in Europe. The weather is going to be fantastically <laughs> awful by yeah. all accounts. Everyone is looking forward to it. It'll be a madcap random error generator for the top teams for sure. And oh, I and just the elevation change at Portimao is so fantastic. Okay, do you know what? Made a decision. We're gonna we're gonna go through these new tracks and quickly give our opinions on them. You know, the European races is going to be cold and either really grippy tires or suddenly wet with no grip. But I did have um, an email criticizing me a little bit. Can you believe it? An email no. criticizing really? me. Unbelievable. You spanners ready at gmail.com. I've started catching up with the backload, uh, the backlog of correspondence now. I love hearing from you, honestly, good or bad. I, I just love knowing that you're listening and I love knowing where Missed Apex fits into your into your life. A bit of criticism I had after speaking out on race issues was, well, you've not mentioned it again. You know, oh, do you, did you, do you think uh, racism and diversity was cured in F1 after that first race? It's a reasonably fair critique. It's just that with the excitement of the start of the season, I didn't want to get bogged down in those issues when we had addressed them in some depth, I think, um, in our preview show. But things have happened that do move me to kind of just make a short comment on on what I think the state of where F1 is addressing diversity and uh, and in particular the Black Lives Movement at the beginning of, of races. So a lot of people are very angry with it or feel that it should have passed by, but I don't feel like that. I, I don't feel like we've had a sustained United show and I probably share some of Lewis Hamilton's frustrations uh, but I also share Joe's sentiments where if you are forced to do a thing, it loses all meaning. The thing that has made me sad over the last couple of weeks are, are the feeling that Lewis Hamilton is absolutely doing things on his own. He has spoken up about Sebastian Vettel supporting him, but he's very much given the impression that everywhere else he looks, he's not getting that support. So what I hear from the the long-term commitment from the FIA is that they are real there are real grassroots things happening and I know of one very specific project where I am actually uh, honored to be consulting and helping a group of people on get their feet on a project and I've seen the FIA give it their full support so from from that point of view that's great 
But what we've also seen is reports of uh, Jean Tot making comments about the the Black Lives Movement support. And he has in a... Now, there is a caveat to this because it was translated. So the translation could be wrong. But it appeared as if he was basically saying all lives matter. And I don't think... You know, five years ago, I would have said you could say all lives matter and not really understand what you were saying. And you could use all lives matter and be like, oh, but, you know, I I just think genuinely all lives matter. Whereas now we've got to the point that if you're a smart man like Jean Tot, you know what all lives matter, all lives matter means. It is used as a, a dog whistle to signal to other people that you are actively stopping diversity and stopping movements like Black Lives Matter. There's no longer any real excuse for a smart person to say, to innocently say all lives matter. When you say all lives matter, you're making a specific point. Now, Jean Tot is right at the top of the organization. And before those comments came out, we had things like the kneeling not being focused on because they cut away to people jumping out of an airplane. And you could easily dismiss that as, well, that's just one of those things. It's bad timing. You had things like the lack of organization, Giovanazzi turning up late, people not seeming to know what they were doing at the Hungarian Grand Prix. You had things like Roman Grosjean out of the blue criticizing Lewis Hamilton's salary. Then you hear the comments from from Jean Tot, which I hope still that I'm is somehow being misinterpreted. And then you hear that Roman Grosjean has been anti the continued support of Black Lives Matter. And it, it it leaves a sour taste in your mouth. And Matt, I think the, the, the way I'm going with this is I feel a frustration that this is going to peter out. Lewis Hamilton on his own can't can't do it, can't drive it forward. And it feels like at the very top, at the, the top of the drivers, you know, association and the very top of FIA, the FIA, there isn't a will to really pursue the matter. At the risk of sounding slightly political. Well, I think I ruined that of the genies. It's not necessarily a surprise if you look at the money and the types of people that are involved in Formula One, that this would be an issue that faces a large uphill battle within the terms of the organizing of the sport. My most, the thing that makes me angriest is watching opening day in America, baseball, which is like better cricket, if I'm being honest. There was a time and a place the players all came out and everybody who was going to kneel, kneeled. And it was specific and everybody was there. All of, there are so many major professional sports now that provide the space for their athletes to represent their views that way, whatever their views may be. And the fact that Formula One is not doing that, I think is doing a real disservice to what Lewis is trying to do here. And I, I support him 100% in what he's trying to do. Because I don't think there is a more important cause in many ways on the planet right now than what we're talking about with regards to gender and diversity issues. It is a problem. It needs to be solved and it needs to be kept foremost in the public consciousness until it is. Okay. I mean, I agree. I'm just feeling a little bit in despair. Someone someone, tell me why I'm wrong. At Spanners Ready uh, on Twitter, at MistapexF1. Tell me, give me hope. Tell me why I'm wrong to feel like this is going to peter out and that Lewis Hamilton is, in the end, just going to have to go, well, 
it's it's just not happening in F1. So let's end on some positivity by arguing about Formula One tracks. Chris, give us a rundown. What are the new tracks that are going to be on the calendar? Remind me again. So Mugello was confirmed uh, a couple of weeks ago, but this week we have had Portimao, Nürburgring and Imola also added to the calendar. Okay, so look, let's start with that. Okay, so uh, the only one of those that I don't know is Portimao. When was the last time we... Have we ever had F1 cars there? So there was a test when they were testing out the 2009 regulation cars. They had these weird hybrid cars that were part 08 and part 09 where they did a test at Portimao. The thing at Portimao is a much younger circuit than I think people realize. It was built and opened in 2008. We, and I thought it was, I remember it being much older than than uh, than that. Uh, but it's it's a modern facility. It's right. nice and white Spanish. You have this whole thing about modern F1 yeah. to go to the more modern circuits. And I think people are already clicking off and be like, no, we shouldn't be going to Portimao. But I think it will be fantastic. Matt? I'm pretty sure that one of the alphas tested at Portimao this year. So look for them to win. Well, yeah. Well, uh, the Alpha Tauri uh, did their filming day at uh, Imola as well. And I'm pretty sure, like, Ferrari have done a lot of stuff at Mugello because Italy. Um, Mugello is a truly fantastic circuit. And the jury might be out on the racing. If there is a lot of it, then it will be into turn one mostly. But just what a stunning, stunning circuit. And qualifying will be amazing. And Imola, I think, yeah, jury's out on, on the racing. Okay, I think hang it's going to look fantastic. Okay, before we skip ahead too far then, so we can be positive about uh, Portugal and we'll look forward to that. Apparently they're, they're selling tickets, uh, a limited amount of tickets for spectators. Yes, the hope is that it will be um, possibly the first uh, race not being held behind closed doors. Okay, well, that if that happens, that means that we're in a good state generally. So let's hope for that. Steve, um, you and I are probably the the, the most long-standing viewers of, of F1 on the panel. Um, Matt had a bit of a gap, I know. But uh, if we look at Imola, obviously horrible memories from Imola. That aside... I don't have optimistic reason to think that it's going to be a good racetrack. I was looking at some footage of um, Michael Schumacher around there uh, in his Ferrari. And even with that grade of car, it was already looking like a narrow, small circuit. Yeah, Imola's uh, showing its age a little bit, I guess. Um, It was never one of my most favourite tracks for that very reason, in that it is, I agree with you, I think it is a little narrow. Um, And the racing just never seemed, uh, you know, uh, that aggressive and that good there. I mean, a different thing on bikes. There had been some amazing bike races there. All right, Steve, Um, you've you've triggered me. But but Mugello, I'm really excited about going racing there again. It's been a while, and wow, is that a good track for cars. Okay, uh, Chris and Matt want to comment on Imola, then we'll go to Mugello. I, th- I think what's going to help with Imola, and I think it will help with all of these new circuits as well, is that because they're not tracks that Formula One traditionally goes to, so the cars haven't been designed to, to race around them. All right, that's that's not a, a huge thing, but they're going to have absolutely zero data. They're going to have very no, no sim data, really, either. This is going to be a test of simulators, really. Um, and I, I think we're going to see a few surprises. That's where the drama of it is is going to be. We're looking at more story unfolding races rather than oh swapping and changing swapping and changing at like Imola for example Matt 
well, I, I don't know about the rest of you, but the thing that makes me most excited about this is the fact that at Imola, it's only going to be a two-day event, not a three-day event. And that's mm. due to the driving distance from Portimao to Imola. So that alone is going to make it a lot more exciting than what we're used to seeing. And I think you also throw in the caveat of it's Europe in October. It's probably going to be cold, most likely be a bit damp as yeah. well. We could see yep. some wet races. I think there are, there are more than enough reasons to be excited about why these these races that we particularly uh, previously like turned our noses up at, we should be excited to see them back on the calendar, particularly when a lot of them, it's only going to be like this one year. And then hey, we hey, might go back hey, to Hey, man, look, look I, I, I don't think the, the current season of cars i don't think these are the worst for overtaking and racing we had we had a pretty good race uh, at the hungara ring when cars were close to each other on track they could fight and they could overtake um certainly a track like nurburgring which um was great in our formula renault 2.0s for our our missed apex series i mean that's a, it's a gorgeous track it's a beautiful track the grand prix circuit version of that so i'm hopeful that we can have some good races oh turn one chris Come on, turn one at Nürburgring. You've basically got to stop, go back on yourself, loop 180 <laughs> degrees round, and then eventually go right. While your front uh, front right hangs in the air because of the drop. No, yeah. It's a fantastic track. I don't know if it's the best looking because it's a lot of grey and it doesn't, it's not the Nordschleife where you have all the, the, no, the mountainous okay. range and the green forest that line the circuit. But you like but your undulation. You like your cranking up hills. I love the circuit brilliant circuit and it has provided some great races for formula one in the past and uh, i look forward to seeing it back okay yeah. so I mean, it's a shame uh, i just think it's a shame we couldn't have had hockenheim on there as well because of you know they have no money basically and holding a race behind closed doors was just never going to be an option for them yeah, I, I think it's really important to note that a lot of this calendar confusion is coming from the fact that the traditional promoters need a full sales ticket to support the prices that Liberty charges them, which are the prices that Bernie negotiated for the most part. I just want to throw that in there. Um, and so we're seeing these new tracks because they don't have an existing deal and Liberty can work with them in order to get the cars racing. And that with these three additions and with the subtractions of the America's races, which were all made official, they are now two races short of hitting the 15 they need to hit to get the full payout from the pay TV contracts that they have. And uh, in other news as well, there are going to be more than enough races um, for the Formula 2 and Formula 3 to get their complete calendar as well. Formula 3 is 10 rounds. Okay. Two is 12. Right, we're short on time, guys. So I've got a pick here. Right. Um, I think we're definitely going to do a, a patron podcast where we'll we'll look a bit more at a preview. So, but I don't, I don't want to miss out on content as well. So we may consider jumping on the mics midweek as well and doing a bit of a deeper dive on the tracks. Some interesting things to note. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's the season now. It's the real season. In the off season, I was reluctant to do more than one a week. But at the end of last season, I think we were doing like seven or eight at some point. Uh, right. So uh, I want to get predictions from you guys for uh, the British Grand Prix. Silverstone won. Uh, interesting to note as well that Silverstone offered to do 12 races in order to help Formula One uh, do a full calendar. And I think with Austria, we, we showed, you know, if we've got a, a decent enough track that allows racing, we can have multiple races at one place. Not sure about 12 would probably get uh, a little bit bored of it. But what might have happened is uh, we know stable regulations bring teams closer together. Perhaps turning up on the same track, 
and constantly seeing what other teams are doing and being inspired by what other teams are doing setup wise and getting used to the track and doing more testing by the by the 12th race at Silverstone, you might find that people have closed the gap uh, a little bit as well. So while I'm here, uh, the ways you can help Miss Apex podcast, uh, as well as supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Miss Apex, you can tell a couple of mates just at the water cooler at work or send them a link, uh, com. When you send them that link, they've got the video to choose from and they've got the audio to choose from. And that will help us uh, to to get them hooked and uh, part, uh, and join the, the army of Missed Apex listeners. Tell a couple of mates or you can leave us an iTunes review. That really helps us in the rankings as well. Uh, leave us a five-star review. Uh, if it's a five-star review, I don't mind how much you um you slate Matt and slag him off. I don't mind. It's completely fine. Five stars and then say why Matt is terrible. Uh, just of late, I don't know what it could be, but just of late we've started to get a smattering of um uh, very low reviews. Uh, aim seems to be aimed at, at me personally. So either I'm just terrible or they've got issue with me. If you'd like to counter that, then uh, leave us an iTunes review. That would be much appreciated. Let's go round the table, Steve. Give us a prediction for the first Silverstone Grand Prix. What are we going to see? Uh, I think it doesn't matter whether it rains, hails or shines. You're going to see Mercedes, <laughs> you know, scoop the pool. I'm a, as much as I hate to say it, I think that's what's going to happen. Um, I think at the end of the weekend that Red Bull will have come good. I think that that track kind of suits them uh, a bit. Um, and I think... Ferrari are going to end up just treading water. I can't see that there's going to be any kind of uh, upside for them. No development, no advancement. And I think they've got to watch out because um, uh, Racing Point are showing some great turns of speed uh, and it'll be this is their home track. You know, they'll feel very comfortable there. I think that they're going to put on a, a blinding display. I think this is we're really going to see Racing Point's speed in the next two races. Excellent. Uh, Chris Stevens. Well, I think that was boring and predictable. So mine is going to be both Mercedes. They they take each other out, going side by side into Cop's corner, leaving the racing point of Sergio Perez to storm to victory ahead of a McLaren double podium. Nice. I am predicting the resurgence of Albon. He has been for the last two weeks in a cocoon of rage unbelievably looking at the TV screen and people saying that his job is up for grabs. He comes out to Silverstone, a track he knows well, a track he has idolised as a child uh, and has seen all his heroes race on. This is the track where he goes, no, no more. He goes all out aggressive. He out-qualifies Verstappen. Ugh, that's a big one. Out-qualifies Verstappen this, uh, this coming qualifying session and ends up... Uh, running in second place with the potential to to beat Lewis Hamilton and Lewis Hamilton sticks it up the inside in a podged attempt to defend his position. Both cars go out and Max Verstappen wins the first British Grand Prix. That's my prediction. Matt, two rumpets. Well, I hate to be boring, but referencing last year's race, were it not for the safety car, Bottas would have won that race. So I'm I'm going to go with Valtteri. 
But to me, the real winner is going to be Pirelli because they're swapping compounds between the two races, which is like the most exciting thing I've ever seen happen with tires. Well, aside from the ones that all exploded there several years ago. Awesome. Right. I'm looking forward to two British Grand Prix and then a Spanish Grand Prix as well. Um, A few people obviously have been uh, talking about this recent travel ban from people from uh, from Spain. I believe Elite Sport is exempt. So Formula One shouldn't have an issue with that, Matt. Yeah, I think according to Chris Medlin on Twitter, uh, you're allowed in, but you have to go straight to your accommodations and straight to the racetrack. You're not allowed to go do anything else. So uh, as of right now, there's not an issue for a journalist and teams traveling from Spain back to the UK for the race. Okay, Matt, you only get get three candidates. Who's the winner of this week's? Well, um, at upfront, as always, I must mention those who participated in the super chat, and I'd like to say thank you to Vermins, whose four pounds ninety nine bought him the following comment: sponsorship for one week only, Chris, to have a blue bedroom again. <laughs> I like it. Okay, who's the real contenders for comment of the week? All right, uh, I believe that we have. Wait, how many did you say I had? Three, seven, three. Yes, yeah, seven. Okay. Um, Stuart Neal, Ferrari have been watching rerun films and lockdown and think Back to the Future is a good idea. That's why they've only been running at 88 miles an hour on the straights. Uh, Takura Chendov is in with, you know, F1 is back when F1 fans complain about F1 and how F1 is presented to them. Yes, Which, we're not yeah, complaining about I feel very seen. Yeah, we I are. very seen. How privileged are we? It's no longer, oh, when is F1 coming back? It's like, ugh, I don't like that graphic they put up that one time. Oh, and oh, this is so hard because there's so many good ones left. But I'm going to have to go with Richard Malden. Okay, this is doing my head in. Serious green screen issues. Monaco is daylight. Brooklyn is nighttime. Australia is daylight. That's not how the sun works. Uh, Oh, yeah. We're like sunny everywhere except New York for our green screen backgrounds. And that does actually remind me to say, if you are an audio listener... Come to YouTube, just check out what we do and check out our faces. Everybody comments on how I look different to I sound. Everyone thinks Matt is fat and he's not at all. He's a very, he's a very slender, athletic, cycly man. Uh, so do come and check out the video. And if you're a video only person as well, do check out and subscribe to the podcast. It's very convenient because you can listen to it whilst driving and operating heavy machinery. Whereas watching a YouTube video while doing those two things is frowned upon. So do us a favor, just subscribe to both. Matt, who's the winner? I think the winner has to be Takura Chindov. You know, F1 is back when F1 fans complain about F1 and how F1 is presented to them. Comment of the week. Thank you very much for listening to our Little Shed production. Please follow Chris at Chris on Racing on Twitter. Follow Steve in real life. He's in Australia in one of those towns. Ramsey Street, I believe, is where he lives. So go there and follow him around. You can speak to Steve. He's in our Patreon Slack group as well. He's there if you want to speak to him. And Matt is at MattPT55. And I am at Spanners Ready. And the show is at Mr. Apex F1. You were leaning in, Matt, because I failed to plug your wife. So I'm going to do that now. At Excuse A me? Yep, you heard me. At A Yep, I'm just going to roll with it and pretend I did it on purpose. At A Weaver Writes, go and follow Matt's wife because she writes books and you might be interested in buying them. No further comment from Matt. So that just leaves me to say, uh, guys, wherever you see us next, be it the patron-only pod, be it uh, a Joe show 
or if we decide to do an extra supplemental midweek show. Wherever you catch us next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Okay, let me try again. Uh, now I have to promote Matt's wife at A Weaver Rice. Would, would you prefer that terminology, Matt? Uh, yeah, actually, I kind of would. Yeah, I can see why. More to the point, I think she would too. Okay, it came from a good place. Okay, I, was trying, I know, I, was I know what you meant. I know what you meant to say to help you so your family has money and you can afford a Ferrari. That's all I was trying to do. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.